Saul's situation before I come to that is going to be overwhelming for him I guess one of the truths that gets this morning is I just want to draw your attention to this incredible graphic that Carly prepared for me there is the spear that he couldn't throw and you can see by that spear why he couldn't throw it because it's overweighted at one end and it's no bigger than a sword and the sword has blood on it because that's what he uses eventually to take his own life this morning it's not how you end Uh, it's not how you begin it's how you end that's important isn't it? Hmm? I was in year 7 high school I'm not a strong swimmer if you go swimming with me, you're on your own. Year seven, high school. First year, that is, New South Wales. That's the first year in high school. That's February of that year. We have our swimming carnival. Oh, bliss. Oh, joy. <clears throat> and I, for some very strange reason, which I have not done since, entered myself into a swimming race. Normally I avoided those. I went in a cheering team or went and did something else, but not swimming events. And I don't know what possessed me, but anyway, I lined up and there I am on the dais with all these other guys in my year and we're about to start. We hop up on top of the block, the gun goes off and the ranger has a beautiful Lake Talbot, has a 50 metre pool. And back in those days it was, you know, just the river water that we were swimming through with all the leeches and crabs and everything else and the mud like many of you would have had when you were kids in swimming pools I'm guessing anyway we dived in and I took off I was my arms were rotating and I was going like a speedboat through water and I said I've got to be at the end soon so I looked up and I was about halfway. and then I looked left and I looked right and I was in front so I went again and I was tiring and by the time I got to the end, everybody else was out of the pool. <laughs> it's not how you begin, it's how you end that counts. So huge embarrassment for me. I dived in, started with something first and ended up strong last. Sold a bit like that. Starts well finishes badly just to remind you quickly how did he begin well this won't appear on the screen so just listen up very carefully and I'll throw some references out but if you're taking notes then good and if you're not just get the overall impact of this he started he was chosen by God to be king he was humbled chapter 9 he was a man of God a person whose life was orientated towards God. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 6, the Spirit of God came upon him and it says, changed him into another person. He had some sort of spiritual encounter. Chapter 10, verse 9 said he had a new heart. And again in chapter 10, he is anointed by the Holy Spirit powerfully so that he even prophesies. People were amazed at the change they observed in him. This is all in chapter 10. There is a commendable experience where he refuses to exalt himself, man of humility. 
He was chapter 11, victorious over the Ammonites, the people from Jabesh Gilead, where again, under the anointing of God's spirit, he led Israel's army to rout a strong opposing force. And through that experience, God used him to, in fact, reunite the nation, to um, bring them back into alignment with God. They reaffirmed and recommitted themselves to God through establishing the covenant again. He brings the whole nation back to God. So here is a king at the beginning who is chosen by God, changed by God, used by God to bring blessings to God's people and honour to God's own name. He began well. And he would reign as king for about 40 years. And somewhere in that 40 year period, somewhere in there, he begins to slip and to slide. And chapters 13, 14 and 15 underline for us how he slides into an attitude gradually but eventually persistently of disobedience. Not listening to God. That's what he's known for. Chapter 13, he was almost fully obedient. Remember that story where Samuel says to wait at Gilgal for seven days until he came? And he waited six and a half days. He waited six and he was into the seventh. And the men were leaving and he was discouraged and he took on Samuel's role as the the priest. He was disobedient. And we might go, well, it's such a little thing. But God took it very seriously and judgment was pronounced. Chapter 14, still slip sliding downwards. He had a zeal, but it seemed to have been ego driven. He was even willing to kill his own son Jonathan. Remember about the story about the honey? Whoever has eaten the honey, he will die and eventually these guys have chosen and it's the intercession of the people of God that saved Jonathan. Otherwise I think Saul would have killed him with this probably misunderstanding but an overzealousness, ego driven I suspect. Chapter 15 is that famous story where he doesn't kill all of the Amalekites. Kills most of them keeps the best of the sheep and the animals and the king and they return in chapter 15 and there's a horrendous words where Samuel confronts him and challenges him about his disobedience that in fact obedience is what God requires not animal sacrifice disobedience is like the sin of witchcraft the sin of divination there is no brokenness over this particular sin or these sins that he has committed recorded in the scripture but rather he offers excuses it's the people who did it. They suggested it. It's somebody else's fault. And he found out that he was rejected by God. His kingdom was taken from him. He, was, he reached out and he tore the robe of Samuel. And Samuel says, just as you've torn my robe, so God has torn the kingdom away from you. Given it to another. whom we know is going to be David. And David, through circumstances, introduced to Saul into the court and Saul has this growing jealousy of David over the years, slip sliding away. There are numerous attempts where he tries to kill David, chapters 18 and 19, where he's either demonised or psychotically irrational and raging and some complex thing is going on that's not easy for us to fully understand. And yet in God's kindness, goodness to him, Chapter 19, when he's on a path to go and kill David, the Spirit of God comes upon him and anoints him and he has this spiritual experience again like he had way back in the beginning. And I think that's God rattling his cage and saying, remember this, Saul? Remember what it used to be like? And unfortunately it doesn't 
alter the course. He continues to slip and to slide. His own pride seems to be driving this. Chapter 16, sadly, it talks about how the Holy Spirit left him and the evil spirit came upon him. And then there's this transitioning. There's this progressive worsening of Saul's experience with this evil spirit, this psychotic episode, a mixture of both. In the beginning, there was this mild phase where there is a blend of where he's normal, but then part of him where he is raging. And David plays the musical instrument, the lyre or harp, and he finds peace through that. God was allowing this experience in his life to rattle his cage, to wake him up, to say, repent. Just like God does with us. Matthew 18, it talks about how we have an attitude of unforgiveness towards a brother or a sister, uh, that God will deliver us over to the tormentors. The tormentors. Which I think in Matthew 18, in the context, the tormentors are going to be demonic tormentors. Or the New Testament talks about how Paul handed one guy over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that he might be saved on the last day. Saul had this sort of mild experience in the beginning of this God trying to get his attention, realign him, but he doesn't. And then it becomes worse. It just deteriorates further. It becomes more intense. He becomes more irrational. He becomes more destructive. Shows the spirit David three times. He even sets up two of his daughters, promises one in marriage and then gives it to somebody else and, and he's prepared to do something with the youngest daughter and to deceive her by an alignment with David she's going to, he's intending to make her a widow such as his hatred for David and as we commented as we preached through those chapters he's, he seems to be always carrying a spear with him it's with him all the time he's either throwing it at David or he's sitting there with her or he's under the tamarisk tree with it or he's sleeping and it's stuck in the ground near him it's, the spear is always with him it's almost he's a man now who has become I can't trust anybody I am the king and I want to preserve my role and my position. Well, this sliding to disobedience, this slowly getting off course and staying off course, climaxes now at the end of this book. And in chapter 28, if you've got your Bibles, we might go there. We read this very strange and very sad encounter. The situation is that the Philistines are once again coming for battle. Let me have a look at 28 and read this to you. And you, like me, may end up with more questions than answers. We are reminded in verse 3 that Samuel had died back in chapter 25. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul, commendably, in obedience to God's word, had put the mediums and the necromancers, the wizards and those who consulted it out of the land. So at some point in this 40 years, this is 1 Samuel 28, verse 3. Somewhere in this, in 40 years, Saul is obedient to God's instructions. He gets rid of the mediums and the necromancers. And now at the end, this is getting towards the 40-year mark, the Philistines assembled and they came and encamped at Shunem. Now if you've got a map of Israel in your mind... Normally the Philistines had come across the bottom into the southern parts and Israel had fought them in the hill country where it was easy for Israel and difficult for Philistines with their chariots and stuff 
So now the smart Philistines had gone further north and coming to the top where the Valley of Jezreel is where it's a big open plain which effectively would have dominated or split the land would have divided Israel's forces one from the other he's way up high up north Shunem and Saul gathered all Israel below them in the other side of the valley at Gilboa when Saul saw the army of the Philistines he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly he's at a complete loss When Saul inquired of the Lord, what should I do? How do I do this? The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And we're not told of any delay or if it's immediate. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself, put on other garments, went he and two of his men, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman says to him, This is a trick, it's a trap. And then you have Saul saying, No, no, it's okay, I promise you that I won't harm you, verse 10. The woman is convinced, verse 11. Whom, excuse me, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she screams out with a loud voice. And the woman realises and says to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You're Saul said to her, don't be afraid what do you see? Saul can't see it and the woman said to Saul, I see a god or an authority figure, a person of dignity coming up out of the earth from the underworld and he said to her what does he look like? What is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe Saul knew it was Samuel he bows to his knees, face to the ground and paid homage. Then there is this weird conversation. Then Samuel, who was dead, who's now back, said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I know it's against the rules but it's an emergency and I had to talk to somebody. Verse 16, Samuel said, Why are you asking for me? If God is not talking to you, and I am God's prophet, why are you talking to me? The Philistines are not your problem. Your enemy is the Lord. Verse 16, Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand given it to your neighbour David because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day moreover the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me down there the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines Saul collapses 
He was on his knees, now he's completely prostrate on his face, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and night, fasting. The woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life into my hand and have listened to what you have had said to me. Now therefore you must also obey your servant. Let me set before you a morsel of bread and something to eat so that your strength can regain and you can be on your way. He refused to listen. I won't eat. But his servants together with a woman urged him and eventually he listens to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed and now the woman had a fattened calf in the house she quickly killed it. She took a flour, kneaded it, baked some unleavened bread with it. She put it before Saul and his servants and they ate as his last supper. And then they rose and went away that night. And commentators love to point out it was night, just like Judas, the last supper, went out into the night. Well, quickly, let's go back to our slides and see... What do we learn and get from all of this? The situation is that now Saul is at the end of his life. The Philistines have come yet again with more power and a more significant location. Saul is desperate. He's previously, as we've said, removed all of the people who could probably help him through occult means. That's a commendable thing that he ought to do. But unfortunately, he reneges on that commitment. He's backsliding. He's moving away from that which he once was committed to. He's not as close to God as he once was. He's moved and kept on moving. He seems to now regret this because in verse 7 he asks for his servants to find a medium. And as I said when I was reading it through, it seems like they almost say to him, oh, we know where one is. It's not like there's some sort of time delay in research and then they come back and report it. Though it could have been like that and it's just not recorded as such for us. Either way, the answer is there is one. Now just to give you an indication of how desperate Saul really is, the Philistines are here, Shunem. Israel and Saul are here at Gilboa. Endor, where this medium lady is, is just above and to the north of the Philistines. For him to go to her, he has to go beyond Philistine lines. And he goes. That's dangerous. But he's desperate. And we're told that he disguises himself. Verse 8. He takes off his royal garments, puts on other normal clothes, perhaps avoiding discovery by the Philistines. That would make sense but perhaps also avoiding discovery by the medium, this lady. If she knows who I am, then maybe she won't help me, which is a bit ironic as you get often through the book of Samuel. If I can deceive her by the way I look, can I trust her in what she says to me? Anyway, he doesn't think about that. And off he goes, takes two men and they go by night. When he gets there, there's this conversation, his request her response of suspicion. And very sadly, you have the King of Israel, the Lord's chosen King, promising not to punish her in God's name for breaking God's law and his own decree. He's 
a desperate man with a public image of doing the right thing but a private man who in his private behaviour is doing the wrong thing. There's a warning for all of us. Anyway, with her fears now allayed, him having promised that she won't be punished for any of these things, we're not told definitely that she did anything, just that she has agreed. Verse 10, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman says, Whom shall I bring up? Bring up Samuel for me. Verse 12, When the woman saw Samuel. This passage is not an endorsement of occult practices. It's not a, an instruction of, did she actually do this? It makes me ask these sorts of questions. It's, do mediums and spiritists really have access to the dead? Can they hear them? Can they see them? Do the departed linger between two worlds? You know the cop show where they often go and get some sort of psychic or spiritist to find the dead body or to find the things? They're increasingly happening. Does the text say that the woman brought Samuel up? No, it doesn't. It seems to me, because this is how the passage is written, that it is Samuel. It's not a demonic manifestation. It's not a vision. It's not a deceiving apparition or anything like that. It really is Samuel. Back from the dead. Well, who could do that? Well, God alone. Is there any other biblical evidence where God has done that, has taken somebody who has died, who has appeared and had a conversation? Well, there is one. Mount Transfiguration. Where a dead guy, Moses, talks to Jesus about his coming death. Can God do what he forbids us to do? Is he bound by the same rules he has for us? Can God use pagan practices to reveal or speak truth to people? I got questions. Do the dead observe the living? Do they know what's going on? Can they see us? Interesting questions. Uh, we don't know. The Bible doesn't answer those questions for us. So you can have an opinion, but I don't think you can base it upon a biblical text. And if you are aware of something, because I'm not, then by all means come and show me and teach me because I draw blanks on those things. But on this I am convinced that this is Samuel because that's how the scriptures are written. This is inspired by the Spirit. It talks about how Samuel speaks and Saul saw him. It's when the woman, woman saw Samuel. She is shocked. It's almost either she didn't expect it or it hadn't happened before or something strange had happened here. And this is not a normal event, it's something extraordinary. God doing something right at the end of Saul's life. Again, trying to get this guy's attention. And as you read it through, you'll find that uh, Saul doesn't get any more information through this experience than he already had from what God had already communicated to him. 
through Samuel when Samuel was alive. If you have a look at the conversation, the conversation between Saul and Samuel, it's interesting. Samuel says, why did you disturb me? Samuel doesn't say, the Lord has sent me. He doesn't say, the woman raised me. But he does blame Saul. Why did, I was resting. I was enjoying my little sleep down in Sheol. And then suddenly through the corridors of Sheol over the PA system comes my name, Samuel. And I've been summoned. Why did you disturb me? Saul says, the Philistines are against me. God's not talking to me, so I want to talk to you. Like I said, I know it's against the rules, but I've got to talk to somebody. He never listened to Samuel throughout his life, but there must have been some connection for him. Samuel was the guy who anointed him, who was there at the beginning, who did speak to him, who did correct him. But then there was this massive parting in their relationship. And don't know. Saul seeks the advice of Samuel. He has nowhere else to go. And 16, Samuel says, Why are you asking me when you should be asking God? That's his mistake, you see. Saul, throughout his life, often doesn't turn to the Lord. He turns to the Lord. He turns to the Lord's servants. He almost gets it right, but falls short. And there is that implication in what Samuel is saying there. And then Samuel runs through this resume of Saul's condemnation, verse seventeen: "The Lord has done to you what He said He would. He does keep His word. It does come true, even." Not just the blessings, but also the judgments and the discipline. Tomorrow the kingdom will be gone from you. It will be given to David. Verse 18, you did not obey the voice of the Lord. So tomorrow you die. If you were out of step with God and you had this strange experience, what would be your response? Out of step with God, tomorrow I die. Maybe this will give you a better feel for it. Imagine Jesus is coming back tomorrow. What are you going to do today? I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to have a conversation with all the people that I've been hesitant about having a conversation with and I'm going to get my life in order, aren't I? You know, Saul doesn't do that. doesn't do any of it. That's almost like he gets this information. He's overwhelmed by it. He's shocked by it. He's filled with fear from it. He collapses. Um, he'd been fasting. Whether that was because he just lost his appetite with the fear of the, the battle or whether it was in fact a religious thing of fasting deliberately to try and get some information spiritually through this medium. Once again, Saul fails to listen. He's terrified. And what does he do with, after having received this news? Nothing. Returns to the field, goes with the army, into the fight having been told he's going to die it's almost like he's trying to can I change the will of God can I alter what God is saying to me and then you come to 31 the Philistines were now fighting when we come to 31 the story picks up again right in the middle of the battle and we're told the Philistines overtook them the, arrow, the archers are shooting arrows and the arrows some of them have hit Saul his sons are dead just like the Lord had said through this visionary experience with Samuel. 
And then Saul, out of fear again for his own reputation, whatever, uh, asks his armour bearer to kill him and he doesn't because he's the Lord's anointed and so he takes out his own sword and he falls on it and takes his own life. Well, there is a truth for us. What God said was going to happen, did happen. Tomorrow you will die. And tomorrow he did. God's word, judgment or promise, comes true. Regardless of life circumstances we find ourselves in, there is a God on the throne who has spoken and who will achieve his purposes. We need, not like Saul, don't ignore God's word. We need to be listening to it and aligning ourselves with it. God keeps his word. Um, and the Philistines were incredibly successful. And note this, verses 8 to 10 of chapter 31, there is incredible dishonour to the reputation in the name of God. Significantly because of Saul and his disobedience and leading the army and so on. Uh, God was working his purposes out, but from the Philistine perspective, they were saying, we win. Yahweh is a loser. He can't look after his king or his army. We have defeated him. Glory to our idols, to our gods. And that's exactly what they do in 9 and 10. They take the armour and the head of Saul. We're not told what they do with that, but I suspect they, like David had carried Goliath's head everywhere, I think the Philistines took his head to proclaim how powerful they were and how weak Yahweh was. And they pinned their bodies to the wall. Great dishonour came to God because of the disobedience of his servants. Same thing happens today. Israel was decimated and you could imagine that now the Philistines are occupying the north and some Israelites have left their cities and others have come in and have filled it in and there's great loss. I have to finish up. And then verses 11 to 13. Uh, the people of Jabesh Gilead who remember kind Saul's, Saul's kindness to them way back in chapter 11 he was the one who delivered them before so they at night come and take the bodies and take them back they cremate them because the bodies would have started to decompose and the carrion would have been birds of prey would have been eating in them and so they remove the flesh and the bones they put together and they bury them significantly under a tamarisk tree which would appear where Saul often would like to sit, hold court. So they honoured him in his death. David later on in the book of Samuel will also rebury Saul and Jonathan. The book of Samuel, let me finish with this, is one disappointment after another in the life of God's people. Way back in the beginning you get God's judgement against the priestly leadership first four chapters then you get the people rejecting God's prophetic leader Samuel chapters 8 and 12 and then even with the royal leadership Saul you get this decline um, God's kingdom endured one failure after another but as I said he is still on the throne and while it might look like he's losing God was still at work. He had, cho- he had a chosen shepherd whom he will bring to the throne. And we've been re- learning about him already, David, and ultimately, of course, the Lord Jesus. Now it doesn't look like God's winning. Now it doesn't look like God is in control. But chapter 16, verse 7 reminds us, things are not always as they appear. 
We look on the outward appearance, circumstances. The Lord looks at the internal, at the heart. God has a purpose. God has spoken his word and he will bring it forth. Interestingly, the book of Samuel begins with God speaking to a prophet named Samuel who heard and obeyed. And the book of 1 Samuel ends with God being silent to a king who refused to listen or obey. There is this contrast, just like the parable of the Lord Jesus told us about two men built their house, one on rock, one on sand. And their destiny was determined by their response to God's word. That's certainly one of the applications for us, to be a people of the word, to be a people who seek to honour God, not bring dishonour to his name by our compromising or diluting his word. Don't tailor God's commands to your own preferences, but seek rather to honour him, please him, and obey him. We need to pray. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, your word is a gift to us, a great gift, a wonderful gift, that gives us a clear outline of how we ought to live our lives. It doesn't answer all of our questions, but it answers enough to give us the direction that we ought to be walking in. Lord, help us to learn from Saul, a man who, chosen by you, changed by you, who in the beginning honoured you, brought glory to you, but didn't end so well. Lord, help us to endure. Help us to end well by still being obedient, listening, complying. Lord, bring honour to yourself. Expand the kingdom of Jesus through us, we pray in his name. Amen.